If you would like to ring along, read along with the sermon scripture today, it's found in our Pew Bible, um, page 131, right down there at the bottom, starting in Acts chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Herod the ruler, Manian, a member of the court of the Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We are in a series titled Love Everybody, where we've been looking to understand more about our physical selves, which God loves enough uh, to become flesh and dwell among us, in which God has created our bodies, has renewed them, has redeemed them. And one of the things about being a person with a body is that we are limited. No matter what size or shape you are, there is an end to it, right? We have limits. There's a limit to what we can know. There's a limit uh, to what we can see. There's a limit uh, to everything that we do. We have limits. And I was reminded about our limits this week because my daughter was sick a few times, and so I stayed home a couple times this week. And you, when you're stuck at home and you're like, man, there's other things I want to be needing to be doing, and, and how do I get all of this done? And we struggle. It's like, man, I have so much more that I'd like to do than what I can do. And maybe, maybe you're someone that struggles with that, that you're always trying to get more and more done. You want to check more things off the to-do list. Uh, and some people seem super-powered at what they can get done in a day. How about, for the most part, just about every single working mother? How on earth do you get that done in a day, in a week, in a year? Uh, but even the, the superheroes among us fall trapped to thinking that we can do everything on our own because we are in a culture that wants to tell us we should be the superhero, we should be able to do everything on our own, I can be the lone wolf, I don't need other people, but we do, because we have limits. And so we become isolated heroes who wanna do everything on our own, and that happens in church life too, because how many people uh, fall trapped to the thinking that, well, it's just me and God, I don't need anybody else. Right? Or just me and God and my Bible, or just me and God and my uh, online sermon, or me and God in this online church service, or whatever. You know, like, I don't need to be around other people. I don't need other people. I can do it all on my own. And we live in this tension between the fact that we realize how we can't do everything, and yet we want to be able to do everything. And so we live in that tension. And so I want to ask today what happens? when people recognize their limits and intentionally worship in community? What happens when we go away from our temptations to just do everything on our own, to hold on to things too tightly, and choose to worship as a community? Well, first things first, you need a community to do that. And in Luke's uh, writing in Acts, we get a very special community. Luke writes, now in the church in Antioch, and I realize for most of us that doesn't mean a whole lot. If, if he had said, now the church in Detroit, you'd have some assumptions about the church. 
Now the Detroit, uh, you know, that, that Detroit church, you might have some co- imagination about what might be happening in a church there. Now if it said now the church in Birmingham, Alabama, you might have some imaginations about what church is like there. Now the church in Mexico City, you might have some imaginations about the church there. Now we might be accurate or inaccurate in those assumptions, but we would have some. But our challenge is probably for most people in the room, you don't know much about Antioch, you don't really probably care as much about Antioch, and so we don't really have any thought about this. Okay, there's this church in Antioch. And for most of us, Antioch is probably like an interchangeable city. It kind of rolls over your ears and you're like, oh, well, it's like any other city in Israel or something like that. And one, it's not actually in Israel, but we kind of hear all Bible cities and just kind of lump them together in our head. But Antioch was actually a really important city. It was a city, um, if you want to know where it is in modern day, it's just on the edge of modern day Turkey, about like 12 miles or so from the border of Syria. And it was a city that was founded by one of the generals of Alexander the Great. So think, you know, it's not this kind of community that has just formed here, like it has an outside influence, it has this kind of cosmopolitan feel even from its beginning. And Rome ended up making it the capital of the province of Syria. So it gets this big established kind of outside rule um, prominence placed upon it. And it was actually the third largest city of the Roman Empire. That's a big city. You've got Rome, Alexandria, Egypt, and then our city here, Antioch. That's a big city. That's a cosmopolitan. That's an urban environment. That's a place where diversity, where people from all over congregate and bring their gifts from all over. And so here's this mega city with all this diverse backgrounds, and Luke talks about the diversity of gifts in this church. Now in this church in Antioch, there were both prophets and teachers. So you don't get one kind of, of gift or one kind of leadership style or one kind of um, service, but there's varied gifts in this community, and it's not just prophets, it's not just teachers in Antioch, you get both. And I always feel like it's helpful to kind of parse out what's a prophet, what's a teacher. That prophet is that person that looks at the world and sees past the surface level and sees what God's vision of the real world is for that moment. What does God see when God sees this thing? And so that prophet is able to look with God's vision and speak God's vision into the suffering people face and being able to call out, here's where there's injustice. Uh, This is wrong. Or being able to call out to those who have power who are ignoring the the cries of people in pain and saying, here's what God's vision is for this world. And we all know people who are prophets. We've kind of put them into this kind of just future predictor world. Uh, But there are people who speak wisdom into your life that who see things with a vantage point that you don't always see things from. And so it's that person that you're having this everyday conversation and who stops and says, I see God at work in this situation. I see, how are you handling this? Is God doing something? Can you just talk about that? It's that person that goes deeper in your conversations. And there are prophets in Antioch. And there are teachers too. There's people that that commit themselves to learn, to grow in knowledge, to sift out inaccuracies and falsehoods from the truth. 
And in a world, especially in our day, that's full of a whole lot of things that you can throw it on the internet. You think about like one of the most uh, used encyclopedias of our time is Wikipedia, which anybody can go on and edit. And we treat it like it's just, oh, of course it's fully true. Um, but we live in a time where it's harder to find out which things are true and accurate. But there are both teachers and prophets, and I want to remind us that those activities are not done in isolation. You're not a very good prophet or a very good teacher if you're on your own. You got to talk to somebody. You got to be in community with somebody. What is a prophet if he's not sharing God's vision to other people? What's a teacher if she's not sharing truth with someone else? Prophets and teachers are done in community. Like that's a community activity, and we need each other to get that important thing in our life. And Antioch sure has a who's who list of prophets and teachers. Luke gives a little bit of a roll call here. And he names people, which I just want to point out, they're from all over, like in that Roman world. You get this diverse teaching list of people from uh, everywhere from uh, Saul, who's from Tarsus, and Lucius, who's from Cyrene, and Barnabas from Cyprus, and Manian from Galilee, and Simeon, who's got a nickname, uh, which is the Latin word for black, which may be something about a racial identity. But you've got these people from all over the, the region who are coming together in this one place to teach, to share God's vision, to prophesy. And that would have been a really good church experience, right? You've got these great teachers and prophets from everywhere. And to go to church in Antioch, you get to experience insights from around the world. And we need to point out two of these teachers, Saul and Barnabas, who Luke is going to emphasize in a moment. Barnabas, we hear in other parts in Acts. His name actually wasn't Barnabas. His name was Joseph. He was a Levite he lived in an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, Cyprus. And his role in the community was so important that the apostles looked at him and said, your name's Barnabas because you're a son of encouragement. We need some Barnabases in our lives. The person that you're like, man, I love when you're around. You are so encouraging. You get a new name, Barnabas. And one of the people that Barnabas encouraged was Saul. And Acts tells us that Barnabas decided to go to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was an entire year that Barnabas and Saul taught at the church, and a great many other people were there. And then it says something else. Barnabas wasn't the only one who got a new name, but it was there that the, that the people on, on this, in this church were first called Christians. So Barnabas gets a name from the apostles that he's an encourager, and this church is so special that they get a first name of Christians. And so this church in Antioch is doing a lot, but how are they so different? Why are they so different? And I think one of the reasons is, is they do not have an isolated spirituality. They are bringing people along with them, but they're also doing something else, and that's intentionally worshiping. They're not just there to, to lift up their own platforms. They are there intentionally to worship God. And Luke says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. That's just something that's going to be ongoing. Something that they're about is worshiping and fasting. And there's a few words for worship in our Bible. This one is the word that means more of like service. 
So they're doing service to God. They are, they are uh, serving the Lord instead of themselves. And that while they're worshiping God, they are fasting. And I just love how important it is for us to realize how worship affects us. Because when you think about who God is and how great God is, you should be reminded of how limited we are and that we need God, that our place in the cosmos, we are small in comparison and we need someone bigger than us. And I always love the Jewish tradition of the kippah, the hat, because, and everyone has all these differing ways of trying to be honoring in the way that they dress, but this Jewish kippah hat, it's there to say you are limited. There's a spot that you're not taller than And God is always above that. God is always beyond our limitedness. And so this community is coming together to worship, and they are coming together to intentionally worship and to fast. Because you got to be intentional to fast, because there's a lot of things that aren't fasting. Like when you run out the door in the morning and you forget a granola bar, you're not fasting that morning. You just forgot your granola bar. When you're at work and you, you look at the clock and you're like, how on earth did I already miss lunch? Like, what on earth? Like, where did my day go? That's not fasting. You just missed lunch. And even on another extreme of uh, when your bank account is low and you don't know where the food is coming from next, that's not fasting either. Fasting is that intentional decision. I'm going to abstain from food because I want uh, to be about something bigger. I want to be about something more spiritual. I want to connect with God. I want to know God even more. I need to be in prayer. And it's an intentional decision. You don't just happen to be fasting. And so this community is worshiping and fasting, and and they're doing that to be out of autopilot of their life and and being intentional to be fully present. Because I don't know about you, but when you don't eat for a while, you start noticing everything whether that's stomach grumblings or whatever it is, but you become present in a different way than when your just everyday life is happening and you're on autopilot. And so this community is intentional, they are fasting, they are worshiping, and that is when the Holy Spirit speaks in the text. Luke says that, quote, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That seems rather innocuous. You're like, okay, set apart Barnabas and Saul. But that's like really hard news if you're in the church in Antioch. Like maybe you loved Saul as your Sunday school teacher. Or Barnabas was this awesome uh, worship leader. You know, whatever it is, like they're a part of your community and God's like, hey, set apart Barnabas and Saul for what I've called them to do. And you're like, but what about what I want them to do? And you want to hold tight But something about being present with God and opening yourself up to someone bigger than you allows you to get this message of, hey, I've got something else for them. Set them apart for what I have called them to do. And so there's a temptation in our church world to to limit ourselves. We see our own limits. We see, I can only do this much. How on earth can we do this or that? And you stop trusting God enough. You start setting your goals too low. You start setting your own agendas instead of God's. When we realize how small we are, that's a temptation. It's just lower goals and expectations. But this community in Antioch is different. They open themselves up to be about something bigger than themselves. 
But unhealthy churches suffer from a lack of worship. When you're unhealthy, you you stop worshiping truly. You, You stop actually opening yourself up to a reality bigger than yourself. You stop opening yourself up to what God might call you to. It's hard to be intentional about worshiping God uh, when we are setting our own agendas, when we want to be masters of our own world and our own life. And unhealthy churches end up asking the Barnabases and Sauls of the world uh, to do the things that they want them to do. Hey, Barnabas, you know what? We really need help on this event. Barnabas, just, just do that. Be on that event plan. You know, be that event planner. Saul, we really need help on this committee. Just, just be on that committee. Because we, we know we're limited and we know we don't have enough and we're like, hey, we just need some bodies. But a healthy church like in Antioch is looking for where God's calling people. What is God raising up among us? Who is God calling into something? Who is God empowering? Who is God giving gifts to? A healthy church like an Antioch is intentionally present to God and opens up their hands and says, whatever you need, God, we're going to do whatever it is. If it's the hard thing of letting Barnabas and Saul be apart and be away, let God's will be done. And so they weren't just looking for bodies for tasks, they were looking for callings to live into. And I have to tell you, one of the very first church leadership things that I I was given was an internship in which I was asked to run a children's ministry program. So it was a summer, there was no children's ministry program. If you know me, my parents were 36 when they had me, I did not grow up around a lot of little kids. Just when your parents are older, they've got older friends, and and so I was always around adults. I was never around a bunch of little kids and helping raise little kids, and our society doesn't train men how to be around little kids. And so I was not gifted to figure out how on earth to start a children's ministry, right? But they didn't have one. They knew they needed one. I was available. Hey, do this, right? The only reason that summer was, worked was because I said, I know I can't do this. And I looked around and was like, who's gifted in my life who could do this? And so I asked uh, my girlfriend at the time, Beth, I said, hey, you're great with kids. Can you teach this? And I had a roommate who was great with music. I said, hey, could you play some music for us? And we had like 20 kids by the end of the summer of of coming to this Wednesday night and being a part of things throughout all of this. Not because I was the right person, but because we did find somebody who had that calling to do it. But it would have been easy to me just like, fine, like here's my opportunity. I'm going to go run this thing. I'm going to go teach this thing. I'm going to do everything. But like some people are called for something and you got to find those people and give them the opportunity and empower them. And so what happens when communities are intentional about worship, they let go. Sometimes when we feel powerless, we hold on tighter, but a community that worships God worships with open hands. And when communities are intentional about worship, they let go of their own agendas. They instead ask God to be the one who moves, and they empower others to live out their calling. And so Luke writes, Then after fasting and praying... 
They laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. And that might seem insignificant, just a little gesture, just a little moment, but they were allowing a physical feeling, like they were letting something be visible, like a real bodily encounter of saying, we spiritually and emotionally, and we support you, we want to empower you, we are with you, and we need you to feel that. And as embodied people, sometimes we need that physical presence of support. And I, I remember um, at my commissioning service, one of the moments that I was most looking forward to, most, uh, and that I still cherish the most, was the moment of the service where everyone lays hands to, uh, to bless you uh, and your ordination. And I was blessed that I had our regional executive minister, uh, Marie, who helped lead the service, and our pastor, Max, and they invited everybody who was ordained. They didn't say, if you're Baptist in the room, come up here. But they're like, hey, if you're in the room and, and you've, you've been ordained, would you just come up uh, if you're willing and lay hands on, on Dallas? And, and so, because I went to a school that was not a small bubble, I had a lot of diversity in the room, and I had friends and coworkers uh, who I really cherish that, um, you know, priests who were Anglican, who were Catholic, people from all these different traditions, who felt welcomed enough to come up and say, hey, I want you to know that I support you. And how meaningful that is to see people who are willing to give support to you. And we need those Barnabases in our life to encourage us, to lay a hand, to say, I support you. Uh, I'm not going to control you in my life. I'm going to release you to whatever God's calling is in your life. And so this little act, the church in Antioch knows it's a bigger act. And so they, they, they empower Saul and Barnabas to do some radical things. Like this is the inauguration of the second half of the book of Acts, where the church is going to just start multiplying and expanding throughout the Roman Empire. It's a moment where the first half of our New Testament, like the earliest text we have are Paul's letters. They are written from someone who was commissioned and supported by this church. These weren't lone wolf, isolated superheroes. Read any of the last chapters of all of Paul's letters and he starts thanking people and talking about everyone who's supportive. These are people who lived in community, who worshiped in community, and who supported one another. And so these short verses, just three verses, are a send-off of intentional worship to transform the entire world. And that, that growth was because a community said yes to God. They showed up to God and they said yes. And our church has said yes to God. We have many, many moments in our history in which we've said yes to God. Uh, we helped start four churches in the Jackson area. Like that's saying yes to God in those moments. Because you could say, I want to hold on tightly, but releasing other people to minister in their communities. We've said yes to supporting our community every Thursday night with personal care. Uh, we've said yes. Can you imagine trying to be a lone wolf superhero and create the sanctuary on your own? Anybody going to build this building on their own? But we've said yes over the years to God to change this neighborhood, to change our families, to change the world by opening it up to whatever God might do. And so, though we are limited, and though we often remind ourselves of how limited we are as we mess things up for ourselves, we need each other, and when we choose to, to be a community, to be together, 
to be present for God, to be able to open our hands to God, we allow ourselves to empower each other to move beyond our own limits, to move where God calls us. Because I know when we come in, if you want a physical example, of if you come in and you're tight-fisted with your life and you can't let go of control, when you end up worshiping, you can't help but letting go and opening those hands so that you can empower and release others to what God has called them to do. And so, you may be limited, but you have a calling. We may be limited, but we have a calling. May our church choose to worship intentionally so that we might let God's power rule on our midst and we can live out our calling in this community. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, uh, for whoever's in this space that feels disconnected, that feels alone, who feels cut off, Lord, we ask that you would help them to feel your presence first, that they would be encountering you. But Lord, we also ask that we would be a presence that is encouraging, that is welcoming, and that, and that they would feel the presence of everyone in this space as well. Uh, everyone in this space is people who would encourage and lift them up and empower them to whatever you are, are calling them to do and to be. Lord, for everyone in this space who is living out uh, their faith, I ask that you'd help them to reflect on, on all that you have called them to do. May our leaders uh, be intentional about their worship. May they serve out of calling and not just obligation. Lord, help us to look in the room and be like prophets who see a vision for what you have in this community. Help us to look for you at work and, and help us to be able to voice that encouragement to somebody who may not see that they are gifted, who may not see what you might be calling them to. Lord, let us be a, a community who worships you well. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.